words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christ is risen. Awesome. I just had to get in on that because that's awesome that you say that. That's a phrase just dripping with joy and confidence and hope. And it's a phrase that you should not take for granted that you say with such readiness as soon as you hear it from pastor or I. Because today we see Jesus' own followers gathered in the room, despite everything Jesus had told them, not ready to say this at any moment. No, far from it. They were in grief and despair, debating over the things happening and doubting. Even though Jesus had told them everything that had to happen, even though some of them had seen the tomb, even though they've heard the witness of the women who were there, Luke tells us that it just all seemed like nonsense to them. And if the women should have brought breakfast to Jesus after his three days stay in the tomb, then these disciples should have been preparing a victory feast for Jesus. Why weren't they? There was doubt. And dead stays dead. They had all had experiences that taught them that. And even though Jesus did do 90% of what he told them, resurrection just seemed so far-fetched. And so we see them, as, as we often are, almost content to stay in the hopelessness. Because that's easy, that, that's safe. Rather than put our hopes in some unlikely hope like this. Clearly Jesus' word wasn't enough for them. And clearly doubt clouded the words of witnesses as well. So finally Jesus just takes matters into his own hands. He appears there in a locked room. And his first word to them, it's not condemnation for their sin and their doubt. It's peace. Peace be with you. And then he shows them exactly why peace Exactly why their disbelief was so silly. Exactly why they could trust the word that he was risen. He shows them his wounds of love. The holes in his hands. The wound in his side. And we see these disciples are overjoyed. Their hope was not dead with their savior. No, they had a living hope. Because they had a living savior. And today, we have before us one of those eyewitness accounts. We have something written by Peter who saw it. And now he gets to share with us that we also get to share in this living hope because we have a living Savior. Look at what he writes in our second reading this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When all hope seemed dead with their Savior, Jesus proved that hope was very much alive. And so Peter, 
who saw the nail marks in his hands, who saw the wound, who heard Jesus' word of forgiveness, even for his three denials of Jesus, he tells us that we too are part of this hope. This against all odds, risen Savior is who you, you are connected to through baptism, like we saw this morning, through faith. You are connected to your dear Savior. Once you were lost, you were hopeless, and you were destined for death. But we've been reborn, Peter tells us, into this living hope because your Savior is living and he brings peace. Peace with God and so peace of conscience knowing that we're right with God and connected with him. And if we're connected to God's true son, that means you are God's sons and daughters. And God's sons and daughters get what the Father gives. They get an, inher an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. Look how Peter describes it. He says, you've been reborn into a glorious inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It lives on as our Savior lives on. And notice how Peter just has to pile up the terms here so that we can begin to understand this. Because all we know in this world are things that perish, spoil, and fade. What good thing in this life does not eventually break down, whether it is our bodies or any of our possessions? What good thing isn't spoiled by sin or taken advantage of by sinners? What joyous moments that we enjoy is over far too soon fading away into distant memory. Oh, we long for a hope that actually lasts, something we can hold on to, a living hope, a hope that doesn't perish, spoil, or fade. And that's what you get in Christ. The original language Peter uses here really would have brought this out. To his readers and hearers, this is what it would have sounded like. That this inheritance is not corruptible, not defiled, not fading. Heaven is so glorious that we can only begin to grasp what it's not. And just like Peter preached in our first lesson this morning, Christ's body did not see decay. So neither will you and neither will your inher inheritance. It is not perish. It does not spoil. It does not fade. And look at how this is proven and protected for you. This inheritance is kept for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God's power. Talk about the best security system for our future salvation. For our inheritance locked away in heaven's vault, untouchable by sin or the world. Talk about living hope. 
because you have a salvation that's ready, ready to be revealed because it's accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection. A salvation and an inheritance that is untouchable. It will not perish. It does not spoil and it will not fade. So in this we greatly rejoice, right? Just like Peter said, we greatly rejoice all the time, every time, right? Even when we face grief in all kinds of trials, well that's a little more difficult, isn't it? Because it's true when we look around, we see the evidence all around us that this world is perishing is spoiled by sin, is fading away. We feel that every day. But yet, Peter writes, in all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. How can that be? The disciples were gathered in that room certainly not greatly rejoicing. They were in grief until their risen Savior barged in and showed them why they could have hope. Hope was living with them. He showed them. He gave them proof. And then they could rejoice. And then it's no surprise that Thomas, who wasn't there, still is clouded in his doubt He doesn't believe the word that Jesus has risen until he sees it himself. And so he continued in his grief and his trial until Jesus again showed himself to Thomas. And look what Jesus was doing in Thomas's grief and trial. He was doing a beautiful thing. He is giving us yet again another beautiful and powerful proof that he is alive. Look, a doubter. Touching the living flesh of our Savior Jesus. A doubter turned into a confessor. One who proclaimed my Lord and my God. Trial was turned into joyful exclamation. He saw his risen Lord. The word about him was true. He could have trusted it. And that's just the secret, isn't it? The secret to greatly rejoicing in trials and grief. Seeing the risen Lord. Knowing that he is risen and we have a living hope. Our future is secure. And we do see it. We see it through the word. And because you see it through the word, you are blessed. Jesus gives you a blessing. See what he said in the gospel reading. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You are blessed by Christ. Blessed by the powerful word of Christ. The same word that said, The Son of Man will be betrayed, condemned to death, mocked, flogged, and killed. But three days later will rise and it all happened. That's the power of his word and blessing. So how can people like you, blessed by Christ, still face trials and grief? And how can you rejoice in it? 
by seeing with eyes of faith your risen Christ living. And so your hope living. And then with those eyes of faith on him, we begin to see the why for the grief and the trials. We begin to see that even in the grief and trial, God is doing something amazing. He's giving you yet another proof. Look at how the Apostle Peter says it. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The proven genuineness of your faith. In other words, this isn't saying that, this isn't saying that your faith wasn't there. Or this isn't a test to show that, yeah, God, see, I've got the faith. No, this is simply taking what is already there, your faith, and letting it shine, letting it blaze brightly through these trials, through these hardships, in this grief. These are an opportunity to show you, God is showing you how powerful your faith is. Not because it's you who have it, but because of who your faith is in. For in whom do we put our faith? Is it in a God that we like to think up sometimes? A God that never sends trials or grief. And so then, when he does, we get shocked and we doubt him. Or is our faith in a living Savior who went through death and trial for victory? And who is still working through trials and grief every day. Well, the fact that you're here this morning, proclaiming those words that you did at the beginning of the service, even after all the trials that I know each and every one of you have been through, that's a proof. That's a proof that your faith is in the second one, a living Savior who triumphs in trial and in grief and who makes our faith to shine through them. Peter describes it with gold being refined in a furnace. When the gold's going in there, no one's saying, oh, not, that's not gold. No, the, the, the worker, the smelter knows what he's working with. But why does it go through the furnace? It's to show that it's pure gold. It's so it can be proven. It's so that it can be purified in that fire. And then stamped afterward, 24 carat, pure gold. And so in your fiery tests and trials and grief that feels so hot in the moment, it is so that your faith, which is powerful because of who it trusts in, can show itself, can blaze brightly, can be stamped genuine and true. Not because you don't have doubts or moments of weakness but because of who your faith is in. Because it's trusting in Jesus' victory over trial and death. And Peter adds two little details in verse 6 that we don't want to miss. One is that, quite literally translated, he says, it is necessary 
that we face grief in all kinds of trials. Necessary. How can that be? Just as that furnace serves the gold, the gold comes out even purer and shining more brightly. And the hotter that furnace, the purer that gold. So God knows exactly what we need for our faith to blaze brightly. And then secondly, he says that it's for a little while. Now how can Peter know that? How can he know that everyone who reads his letter or hears it is only suffering for a little while? Well, no matter how often we like to think our trials are anything but short, think our grief is anything but little, it cannot stand to compare to our eternal days with our risen Lord. The praise, the glory and honor when our Jesus Christ is revealed. God has given you amazing faith. He's proven it genuine in trials. Necessary, yes, but for a little while. And just look at your faith. Blessed by Jesus. Look how Paul or Peter describes it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Peter, or, uh, Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. And this morning when pastor said, Christ is risen, you said, that's proof. That's a powerful testimony to the genuine and true faith God has given you. It's proof of your true joy that you have a risen Savior because Jesus has blessed you and your faith. Because these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that believing in him you may have life in his name. You know this living hope because God has given you a powerful faith. And you know that in it you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. With a Savior so great and with a faith so blessed, how can we not just cry out with Peter how he started this reading this morning? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us rebirth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is risen. In Christ, amen. And now let's stand and confess that faith that Jesus